Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this week are our Richard Allen and Muhammad Ali. Liga did not disappoint this weekend with a number of interesting clashes bringing up different results. And with that Champions League music just faintly playing in the background, it's almost time for the real season to start. But more on all that and more, including your questions after the latest headlines. Lille and Bordeaux kicked us off on Friday evening with a relatively dull affair, even with Nicolas de Preville's return to the Stade Pierre Moroy, playing out a scoreless draw in which Thiago Maia was sent off in the first half. Paris Saint-Germain won 5-1 with a debut strike from Kylian Mbappe, but a contentious red card to Benoit Asuakoto swung the game while it was still level in the second half. On Saturday, Nice thrashed Monaco 4-0 in the Côte d'Azur derby with a goal from youngster Ignatius Gangano, camping off a capping off the victory. In the multiplex, there were 1-0 wins for Nantes over Montpellier and Amiens over Strasbourg, while Troyes held Toulouse to a goalless draw. Comte defeated Dijon 2-1 as well, despite being down to 10 men at the sending off of Adama Mbenga. On Sunday, Saint-Étienne and Angers shared a goal and a red card each, with Remy Cabella scoring on his return, well, his debut, apologies, for Leve. While Lyon then saw off Gengomp thanks to strikes from Mariano Diaz and Nabil Fekir. And in the final match of the weekend, Rennes put three past Marseille at the Stade Velodrome, who managed one in reply, much to the chagrin of the home support. This week also sees the start of the group stages of the European competitions with PSG heading to Scotland to face Celtic, while Monaco are in Germany to face RB Leipzig in the Champions League. Marseille will host Konyaspor in the Europa League as Nice face Belgian side Zulta Varagem and Lyon fly off to Cyprus to take on Apollon Lyon. start to this season. Mo, can you hear me? Seems to maybe have a, a technical issue with Mo's drop from the collar. I'll, I'll ask you the same question, Richard. What do you think to Marseille's start to this season? Um, it's been nothing but underwhelming, really, hasn't it? Um I mean that 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 performance Sunday night was the performance really to have um, sort of ignited the fans' fears that this project maybe isn't or hasn't um, uh, really got the champions as as the, the key part of their, their project's brief um, because at times on Sunday they were they were appalling um, you know it's not I've not I've been quite vocal with my. Uh, thoughts that the defence is, is is pretty poor, but ultimately these are seasoned professionals, uh, and at times they, they they were embarrassing. You know, you've got Patrice Evra, you've got Ayman Abdenor, you've got um, Rami as well, and and 
they were, they were hopeless. You know, I, I, I feel, you know, I enjoy a bit of a, 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 a sort of Marseille implosion more than anyone, but uh, it was quite strange to see just how bad they were, considering Ren have hardly been lighting up the season so far. So this, this was the, this really was the performance I think that sort of has, has got those fears going with the Marseille fans and. Um, you know, once you've lost the fans, it's it's a it's a tall order for for someone like Garcia to to turn things around. Moat, welcome back. Uh, we'll get your opinion on it now <laughs> yeah. as well. Well, what what do you think to the start of this? Uh, well, uh, I suppose the midpoint of the Champions project. It's mm. two wins, a draw, well, a draw and, and two defeats now in a row. Is this they start to be a little bit of a worry? They brought in defensive reinforcements, mm. but like Rich says, they were they were really poor last night. No, yeah, absolutely. First of all, apologies for any technical difficulties okay. on my side. But um, okay, so um, yeah, there's a lot to break down here. Um, first of all, I don't think Frank McCourt is at all to blame. You know, he might have a champion's project in terms of you know bringing OM back to glory, um, but he has put up the money. Marseille have spent, I think, more than 100 million euros since January on about eight or nine players. Okay, it's the coach and the the direction, the sporting direction who have made decisions on where to place that money. And I think that's where the fault lies. Um, we've spent money on aging defenders that, you know, are just not cut out of the right level. I, you know, saw last night, you know, Nanyon, well, you know, Ren was pretty, pretty good, um, who also scored a goal as well, uh, the third goal for the visitors. But instead, instead of fronting, I think, what would have been about 15 million and above, we've spent, uh, you know, money on Ayman Abdenor, who last night appeared shocking on his debut. Um, half of the players, nearly all of the players, apart from two, are on or approaching the wrong side of 30, if they're not there already. Um, and it's just, you know, now having gone from one of the youngest squads in the division, are now joints uh, first in that regard. And also, Rudy Garcia's coaching leaves a lot to, do, to be desired, you know, He's very stubborn tactically, very inflexible during the game, changing his tactics. I don't think I've seen him alter the tactics during the game. It's always the same 4-3-3. It doesn't matter whether Marseille are playing defensively or, or, or in attack. And then sort of shoulders himself, or shields himself rather, um, from his in, in early mistakes by hauling off a player uh, in, the, you know, in the first half, typically around the 25th, 25th minute. We saw that last season against Nantes uh, when Owen fell quickly to a 2-0 lead, a 2-0 deficit, and then sort of recovered before losing 3-2. We saw that in multiple games against Monaco. It was Alessandrini in November. Uh, and uh, you saw that as well just before the international break. And then for some inexplicable reason, it was Hiroki Sakai last night as well. You know, this is a player who played for Japan just a couple of days ago, but seemingly... Um, you know, seemed okay, but then sort of Garcia decided how, you know, during the middle, and I think maybe you saw this, Rich, that, you know, Romain Dons also questioned how weird that was on, on during the game last night uh, on the touchline. Um, and it's just, you know, it just seems to me, you know, is really Garcia just, you know, is really Garcia the right man for the project? Because when he first joined, we, we agreed that, you know, it wasn't his team, you know, Marcel would just have to ride the season out try and get to where they need to get to. And then hopefully, you know, he, he's able to mould his side, who he sees fit, 
with 100 million euros of Frank McCourt's money. And so far, that's given us numerous whopping defeats. You know, when Marseille lose, it seems to be big. Um, it's given us several average players. It's not Zubi Zaretta that is given, you know, going to search for players and bringing them to Marseille. It's really Garcia with his French first policy. And so players that he seems to have worked with or players that are, you know, sort of in the twilight. Not, okay, not exactly the twilight, but, you know, towards the towards the end of their career. It's just, you know, it just seems a bit weird to me in general. Mm, a strange one, really. And, and Rich, I want to focus really on that transfer strategy. Mo touched on it briefly then as well. But a lot of these players, even on deadline day, Abdenor comes in, he's had a... He was decent when he was back in France earlier, but he, he had a terrible time at Valencia and they've bought Mitroglou and he can't even play for a, for at least a couple of weeks yet. He's still injured. Can you really make heads or tails of what they're trying to do? It doesn't seem like it's building a squad that's facing Champions League footballers because, simply put, these players aren't Champions League footballers. To me, it seems like they're, they're operating on a strategy if they want, they want names... They want established players, established names to be brought in. The problem is, is they're having to go to their sort of fourth or fifth choices. Um, you know, we saw the names of the players that they were linked to in terms of filling that um, forward role. You know, we started out in the summer with the likes of Giroud being rumoured and they've ended up with, you know, a player who who has had a, you know, a fairly decent time of it in, in Portugal, but Aside from that, has hardly um, set the world alight. So that's the problem. Is is uh, and as you know, as Mo was touching on, you wonder. Okay, Garcia Garcia has to mould these players, has to tactically get these players in line, get them performing well. But if he's being you know handed these players to to manage, you know, even the best manager in the world would struggle to have got the you know defence performing. Considering what um, you know, what personnel they've got. So someone like Zuba Zaretta maybe is where the finger of blame should be lying. You know, he's the guy that's going out, uh, presumably striking these deals, negotiating. And if this is the end result, then I've said it before, it, it's it's completely underwhelming. Yeah, there seems to be some kind of disconnect somewhere, whether it is from Rudy Garcia wanting this French first policy and these ex- more experienced players, or whether it's Zubi Zaretta chasing them or, or not. If he, if it is Rudy Garcia mentioning them, why isn't Zubi Zaretta fighting against that? Why isn't, if it's the other way around, why is the other one not suggesting it? It seems, it seems there, odd, doesn't it? Yeah, no, there seems to be some sort of, I think, rumour going around you know, where Zubi Zaretta is not exactly happy uh, with the class policy, or there is some sort of disconnect in his work with Rudy Garcia. And I think there might have been one or two rumours where he was sort of considering making them even maybe an exit. Um, but for me, it's just, it is Rudy Garcia's policy. At the end of the day, he's a coach. He, select, he signs off on the players. Um, he, cho- he chose the players. And, he did, and, you know, the weird thing is that he doesn't even use them. So we have last night where we relied on 36-year-old Patrice Evra, who was completely out of his depth when Jordan and Marvi would have been a better solution who was on the bench. You had Hiroki Sakai who he only found out about half past nine last night that he actually might have been 50% fit. Okay, you've got um, Bruno Sars not exactly right back but you've also got the, the promising Rubikar Kamara 
who Marseille fought tooth and nail to keep over the past year. He wasn't he wasn't even in the match day eighteen, and hasn't been really under Rudy Garcia. You've got the um, versatile attacking option, Remy Cabela. He's been farmed out uh, because Garcia thinks that he is actually below uh, a campus in the pecking order. You've got uh, Gregory Sertic, who has been appalling in the last three games, um, but still sees a start. Um, and also, you've got Maxim Lopez, who I think has pretty, been pretty poor for the last couple of games. But you know, it doesn't matter come hell or high water, he will always start a game because that's the formation that uh, Garcia will always pick, much to the, you know... Um, chagrin of you know Zambo and Gisa who could actually be sort of a powerful you know, midfielding reinforcement playing maybe a 4-2-3-1 bringing maybe the best out of Payet in a number 10 role but the you know that's something that Garcia will not consider it's been 4-3-3 always and you know I just think for right now Marseille just very very easy to find out if you're Ren with uh, Monaco to that regard with a powerful forward line with young pace players what well, all you need to do is just run at the run and draw players out of position if you're a team in sort of the mode of Angers, it's just about, you know, piling pressure on sort of a weak, weak midfield and then, you know, just sort of really taking the game to Marseille. I think that just tactically, there are better coaches who are able to set a plan B and plan C. And I think just that against Marseille, they're just very, very easy to find out at the moment. Yeah, and you mentioned there that I'm thinking Zambo and Guisa had a really good Confederations Cup and whether that's a big milestone really it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a difficult one to judge but he maybe deserves a better chance than he has been given when Jordi and Marvi does play he plays essentially left wing against Monaco which seemed a, a strange decision as it does now as, as it did then and I agree with you on our campus I really want to know who his agent is because he's been getting in moves to AC Milan to he got to Genoa for, well, is it Genoa briefly and then went to AC Milan and yeah, did okay absolutely. there and has managed to stay at Marseille whoever's well, convincing these managers, he's a good player. If he, unless he's the greatest trainer we've ever seen, and he doesn't never shows up otherwise, I, I do want to know the secret behind his uh, juju. So, really, to cap off Marseille talk, at least anyway, Mo, um, do you think Garcia is the right man for the job? And if not, what's the kind of manager you would need to bring in? Um, well, yeah, no, like I said at the beginning, I don't think he is anymore. Um, you know, we this time last year there was absolutely no chance. He's you know he's been there eleven months now. Um, there was no chance we could really judge him when Marcelo lost heavily to Monaco in November and in January because, you know, those weren't his players. And even past January, you know, just signing Payet and a couple of other squad fillers, um, you could not really say that it was his team. But he has adopted his French first policy. He has, you know, chosen his players. And right now, just, you know, yeah, Marseille might have been uh, 18 to 20 games unbeaten just before the Monaco game. But, you know, it's not really, you know, they haven't really kicked on. They haven't really kicked on at all. He's getting found out by teams that are better than Marseille. He's getting found out by teams that are not as good as Marseille. I wouldn't, you know, say, you know, sack him yet, you know, sack him immediately. But I think the patience is wearing thin because McCourt's project, obviously, you know, he, what I appreciate about McCourt is that he's been up front. He has made money available and he's made, um, um, you know, his his intentions clear. I think what Rudy and Zubi Zaretta have done instead is that they've operated a short-term policy. We're going to use this money to get Marseille back to the Champions League. You know, at, on paper, this squad should be at least getting third. 
And for third, you know, depending on who the winner of the Europa League is, should qualify for the Champions League group stage next season. Um, and then from then on, we'll use the money plus, you know, I, I guess, uh, you know, a, a little bit of McCourt's money to consolidate the squad. But if OM don't get to where, you know, don't meet their season objectives, and that's a big, big setback. And at this moment, I don't think Garcia is the man who, who's available to replace him. Currently, I don't think there's a couple of managers, you know, good managers on the market apart from Thomas Tuchel and uh, Luis Enrique. But I think they're quite, you know, a little bit far-fetched at the moment. So I think it's just something we'll have to monitor over the next coming months. But if, you know, Garcia does go on like this, I don't see him staying past Christmas. Strong words, and it's difficult to disagree with how he's managed the last couple of games, at least. Let's move on to Ren, who was also involved in that match, uh, Rich, and finally the, the cloud lifts briefly over uh, away from those for a moment. Um, do you think they finally found the right mix of the front two with, with Kazri joining Saar up front rather than uh, and, uh, Mumbele sort of moved out wide? Do, do you think that worked a little bit better, for, especially for Saar? Um, I think we certainly saw a much improved Saar against Marseille. It's difficult to judge how well that attack was doing because I think they were aided so much by such a poor Marseille defence. So it's difficult to say, but I, I was one of those that doubted um, you know, the reasoning behind bringing Kazri in. Um, I've been, you know, 90 minutes later, I've been proved wrong. So long may that continue. Um, but no, I, I, you know, I really like the way that they set up. I think very quickly, you know, very early goal, very early two goals, it became apparent that, you know, this was a Marseille side there for the taking. I think then the the formation was, I mean, they started out as, as pretty much a 4-4-2 still. Um, but I think with that, that fantastic start and, and sensing, you know, how poor Marseille were defensively, that almost moved and, and flowed into becoming almost a more 4-3-3 formation. Um, what I like to see was that those front three of, of Kazri, Saar and Mubele seem to be quite flexible. Um, you know, they seem to recognise and understand where each of them, you know, the other two were uh, and position themselves accordingly. It didn't seem like any any of the three had a particularly fixed position. You know, we saw Mubele drift wide right on occasions, but, you know, Borjo was there as well to, you know, and, and you know, Mubele then moved a bit more central and, that's what I like to see. I like to see players who are reactive to the situation on the pitch. How much of that influence was, was from Gorku from the sidelines, I don't know. Um, but, you know, it was a real, real positive performance. You know, some real standout um, goals, some real standout um, players from Wren. Um, I thought Thomas Kubek had an excellent debut, made a couple of really important saves. We had Jazino Namzi. Um, a uh, academy player um, signed his first pro, uh, first pro contract earlier in the season. Uh, yeah, earlier in the season, I was a bit wary about bringing him in for his debut at the Velodrome, but even with a side of uh, with Tovan Germain Paye in, he wasn't troubled. He wasn't troubled in the slightest. So, you know, strong debut from him. Um, you know, didn't really put a foot wrong playing alongside Nyanyon why not stick with him? You know, Nanyon last season was brought in as cover because we had defensive concerns. Sorry, we had injury problems at the back. And look how well Nanyon's developed. Why not do the same then with Niamzi? So, 
as ever being a Ren fan, you we you know I can't get too optimistic because you know chances are next game we won't see this performance again. But you know from what you've seen within those ninety minutes, you know as bad as Marseille were, Ren still had to beat them. Uh, you know it's an obvious saying I know, but really really impressed with how they 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 went out. They were positive from the off. Players looked up for it. They looked really dangerous on the break, really quick. Um, so I can only hope that something has clicked with those players and something has clicked with Gorkouf and we can see more of this going forward. Yeah, and it makes you wonder what they were feeding Kazri at Sunderland for him to be pretty poor in the Premier League and all of a sudden <laughs> come to life instantly in the Premier League. And I, I really liked his performance, especially I think it helped Saar because he was allowed a little bit more freedom to go around him and, and play in little wider areas where he, I think he's much, much better. I mean, for the first goal, he's, he sells I'm an abdomen like he's a, he's a bomb. It's just like a post there that he just runs past. It's, it was so easy and it was a lovely little finish as well from Kazri. But Mo, there was a lot of pressure on Gorkov heading into this one and there still, well, there was rumours that he needed six points out of the next nine. That's three on the board at least. Does that lift some of the gloom for him? Yeah, of course. And I think, you know, he's becoming some sort of wizard when it comes to visiting Marseille because, you know, this is not this is not the second time we've been pumped at home by, by Ren in the last 18 months. And I think, you know, like Rich was saying, you know, the way that they were set up, it was quite impressive, the, you know, the flexibility and versatility of the front three, especially position-wise, was quite good. And if you look at the from the opposite side, you know, Payet, Tovan and Jaman, they were quite rigid. I mean, Jaman, I don't think I saw him and in the first 45 at all whatsoever. Um, and yeah, you know, he, he's, you know, set up his team well. He, he played big and the result, um, you know, came accordingly. I, I think the concern is that whether Renz can obviously, uh, you know, replicate that going on into the next two weeks. Um, but I think this is obviously a big, big morale booster and um, it should see them, you know, go up, up the table. Let's hope so. Uh, we'll move on now to what was somewhat of a surprising result, at least from current form this weekend, in that Cote d'Azur derby as Nice really romped to that 4-0 win over Monaco. Uh, Rich, it was the same result last season at the um, Allianz Riviera. Excuse me. Are Lucian Favre's men the Monegasques crypt tonight at this moment in time? <laughs> um, yeah, it was It was quite uncanny, really. Um I don't know what's. I don't know what went on in this game. I really don't. I just scratch my head, thinking, you know, Monaco have been impressive now for for such a long period of time that a result like this comes as a genuine shock, especially after such a a poor start from Nice this season. Um, so I, I I don't know. It wasn't particularly that Monaco were dreadful. I don't think it was particularly that Nice were outstanding. It was just. You know, Nice took their chances, Monaco didn't. Um, you can only hope that, you know, Monaco, this doesn't become, I don't know. With with them having, well, being in the public glare, I think, so much this early part of the season, mainly through to, through the transfer market, you know, I can only hope that that this doesn't affect any, any focus that the side had got. Um, that, you know, this is not a beginning of the likes of Fabinho, the likes of Lamar, although he went off at half-time, um, taking their 
rest. They didn't get their moves that they wanted in the summer. You know, other players did. So why, you know, why should I bother? So that that's what I'm hoping it doesn't become. Because, you know, we need Monaco to be we need Monaco to be playing well. We need Monaco to be winning games if we've got any chance of a competitive um you know race for the championship. Needed a result like this after such a poor, poor start to the season. I you know, I, I just I genuinely, genuinely didn't see it coming. Apologies for that. If I, I've dropped from the call, then <laughs> it was a bit uh, skewer on my end, at least. Anyway, um, no, like Rich mentioned, it was a bit of an unusual result, really, and not one we saw coming. And must have felt like Groundhog Day for Jardim at, at points. There were moments where Monaco they were, had a high line again, two goals from Balotelli again. Mm. It, it was a very strange one. It, it, did you really see this one coming? No, no, absolutely. Like, like Rich said, you know, it's just it's, it quite seems like a bot. I'm hoping that we can put this down to some sort of lethargy, you know, before the Champions League week where players, you know, normally have one eye on another clash uh, in, a, in the next couple of days. Um, but it's just, it just didn't seem like Monaco. I think one of the goals that stood out for me in particular was Balotelli's uh, second goal, if I'm correct, mm-hmm. where the defence were just absolutely static. You know, this is a Monaco defence who are, who've matched, you know, the best in Europe over the last 12 months is a Monaco defence that, with the exception of Mendy, hasn't changed too much um, over the summer. And they were just completely, completely gone um, to let Balotelli score uh, Nice's third. It's just, you know, it seems to me, I, I, I do agree maybe with, I do agree with Rich in that, maybe play, some of the players who, you know, have seen, you know, post transfer window are taking their foot off the gas a little bit, are, you know, not giving their maximum. Perhaps, you know, it's it, maybe it could just be one of those things. Maybe it could just be a freak result. You know, as we saw 12 months ago, a 4 0 defeat to Nice isn't exactly fatal to their title chances. Um, and obviously, Favre against um, Jardim, you know, obviously, I think he's, he has a tactical upper hand. Nice were absolutely fantastic. They were good value for their. For their victory, you know, they were well set up. Um, and Balotelli, you know, say what you want about him, but he does come up in the big games. He, he has, you know, come up, you know, well, in most of the big games, rather. He did well against Monaco last year, didn't do well against Marseille last year, and he has not replicated it again. So it's good to see him and player, you know, getting in, uh, you know, getting amongst the goals. I just hope for Monaco that it's just, you know, a one-off blip like last season, you know, all good runs have to come to an end. Some, you know, obviously um, abruptly, but it's not something that will derail them because like like Rich said, you know, I think we do need Monica to get back on track really, really quickly against this, against this, um, you know, sort of behemoth that PSG have become. Um, and I just hope that for all, you know, intense purposes, it doesn't become the league run of 2015-16. Um, so, yeah. Good luck to them going forward, I guess. <laughs> At least that's a good omen that, that they won the league last season despite that 4-0 defeat last year. But <laughs> Tribio Sidibe, I'm, I was watching the highlights earlier and 
I can't believe how rubbish he was in this game at times. It, it's, it's probably not the first time we've mentioned this, but we we said that really he was one of the players that they were probably looking to shift out and play Armani Torre more regularly. But clearly teams have watched enough of Sidibe to see how rubbish of a defender he is. He was so far up the field on some yeah. of them. And uh, you mentioned it, Mo, the, the goal for Balotelli... Balotelli's walked behind him. He's not even up to sprint. He's not had to play a clever run. Sidibe's just not turned around and not looked at him. Glick turns around as soon as the goal goes in and looks at Sidibe as if he's, he's shot his sister. He couldn't believe it. It was it was so poor defending. And there was numerous times. I mean, I really like Jemison as well and, and Glick as a partnership, but at times they were fumbling when they were trying to be the two-man. Like, Jemison would cross over him and, and run to the player and, and player scored past him because he easily darted inside. It was just disappointing really but let's quickly briefly touch on Nice um, Rich and is this a possibility that they can grow from it? I mean this kind of result just shows you how good of a manager father is for, for one thing at least but this is something for them now to build on isn't it? Absolutely you know they now need to despite me prattling on about such a poor start to the season they now need to forget that start to the season this you know, this is their start They've, you know, they've come back from the international break. Transfer windows closed. They've come up with their big game, local rivals, and they put them to the sword. So they now have to. They, that has to be. If, if that doesn't give them the impetus now to push on and get their season back on track, nothing will. Um, you know, they've got Ren away at the weekend. Um, you know, there, there's another perfect example. You know, Ren. We'll, we'll go into that game feeling very optimistic after their win at the weekend. Nice will be going in. That'll be a bit of an acid test to see whether you know this result will be what kicks them into gear. Um, you know, I'm hoping it will be. We all enjoyed Nice when they were playing well last season, uh, last couple of seasons, in fact, but specifically last season. You know, it's great to see um, uh, Alisson player back, seemed back to his best. You know, he was he was really, really good, I thought. You know, he's creating, scoring. Um, so to see him back, great. Always great to see Nampalis Mendy back, although very only a brief um a, a brief outing for him. Um and I suppose conversely to what we were talking about with the, the Monaco players and perhaps, you know, is there a bit of a, a concern about how they will take not move, not moving on? You then had Seri. It wasn't his best game for Nice by a long shot, but he was obviously very vocal in the fact he never got his move away from, from the club in the transfer window. So it would have been even easier for him to have given up the ghost, packing, why should, why should I put in the effort? I told the club I wanted to go. They didn't let me go. Why should I bother? But he didn't. He knuckled down, got on with the job. You know, he's retained the captaincy. Um, and you know it's great to see. As I say, it wasn't his best game, but I think it would have been very easy for him to have put in a bad game, especially as it would have been so obviously highlighted uh, against a team like Monaco. So, in all, I think for, for Nice, yes, this is going to be uh, a launch pad for their season, uh, and hopefully, um, well, perhaps not next weekend, but uh, in the games to come, that we'll see further proof of that. Yeah, and credit to Ignatius Ganago, who sprinted at Favre as well when he scored his first goal for the 19-year-old. Classic French player without the name on his back. It's great to see a young player again coming through at Nice. Um, time for Mo to leave us now. Um, thank you for joining us again, Mo. Thank you. Thank you. 
Yeah, follow him at Muhammad Ali underscore 93 for all your Marseille news. He's always a great follow. Thank you again, for Mo, for joining us. But now it's time to look ahead to Monaco's Champions League game now, and that's a clash with RB Leipzig. And for that, we welcome get German football newsers, um, Matthew Marshall. Welcome to the show, Matt. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, guys. Uh, so Ralph Hasselhoodle, excuse me, <laughs> mix up my mind. So Ralph Hasselhoodle's men fishing, finished second last season and started off reasonably well this season, at least. Uh, what kind of form are they heading into this one in? Well, they started the league campaign pretty ordinarily, mate. They lost two nil at Schalke, and nothing really happened for them on the opening day of the Bundesliga, but. Um, they went into the second game at home against Freiburg, heavy favourites, and actually found themselves 1-0 down at half-time. Now, I don't know what Ralph Hasenhutl said to his men at half-time, but whatever he said certainly worked. They came out and really dominated Freiburg in the second half, put four unanswered goals past them. And on the weekend, they travelled to Hamburg, who themselves had won their opening two games, but really you know, outclassed Hamburg scored two goals in in the second half, a screamer to, to Naby Keita and a lovely goal to Timo Werner on the counter-attack. So they certainly come into this clash with Monaco full of confidence and uh, Monaco will have to be careful, especially after what happened to them uh, there at Nice. Yeah, and they got a, pre- a lot of press last season for a very successful first season in the top flight, despite some of the bad press about all the money things and the ownerships from Red Bull. But what kind of style do they play? I know a few of our fans and English fans in general wouldn't have seen them play, but with Naby Keita in the midfield and all these expansive players, how do they sort of set up? Well, they basically play a 4-4-2. Um, Forsberg has been the man on the, on the left side, Sabitzer out on the right. Um, and the, the main thing that distinguishes them is, is Naby Keita. He's a central midfielder, but he's just so dynamic and, and quick, and he's, he's just got all the skills, you know. He, he can run around and, and, and mop up um, opposition attacks. His dribbling is just sensational. You know, his passing and the way he sets up goals um, and, you know, the, the goals that you've seen him score. He's just got all the tools. And certainly when he's in the side, he just gives them that little bit extra. He's got a bit of a, an injury concern coming into this game. So we'll have to see what happens with, with them. But I guess the way you would describe Leipzig is just a hard-working intelligent side they really like to dominate the ball they've had just under 70 percent possession in their last two games but not only are they you know comfortable dominating possession they're obvious they're very quick on the counter attack and they like to play a high line and and press the opposition into in their own half and and start quick quick attacks in that fashion so the way i would describe leipzig quickly would just be to say hard-working, intelligent side, um, but they've just got all the the weapons to, to really hurt the opposition. Yeah, and you've mentioned a couple of key players there. Emil Forsberg, one of the leading assist makers, he's a really a really intelligent player from set pieces and from open play, and, and obviously Naby Keita will be heading to, to Liverpool next season. But one key player I wanted to look at was who's in fantastic form at the moment for club and country is uh, Timo Werner, who struggled at times at Stuttgart. He wasn't quite the right player mate sometimes playing out wide didn't play as a central striker now as that main man at Leipzig he's on fire it's unbelievable you know I watched him quite a bit at Stuttgart and I didn't really give him a second look you know but credit to to Leipzig they, they paid 10 million for him from Stuttgart um, you know to play with them 
in their debut Bundesliga campaign last season, and he's just come out of nowhere. You know, scored 21 goals last season in the league. And as you mentioned, you know, he started this season on fire. He scored uh, two goals in that win against Freiburg, another goal on the weekend, three goals in two games for Germany to really establish himself as the number one striker for, for, for Germany as they, they head to the World Cup next year. And uh, at such a young age, it's realistic that we could see Timo Werner playing for the German national side for the next decade. And if he continues to progress as he has in the last year and a bit, I mean, it's scary how good he can be. He's just he's so quick. He's, he's movement is he's just so intelligent. He's, he drifts out wide. You know, he, he links up very well with, with, uh, with his teammates. Um, and if you've seen his goal on the weekend at, at Hamburg, you know, that counter-attack goal, but he had to brush off two defenders, which he's, he did with strength and pace. And then when he gets into the keeper with the one-on-one situation, he's just got the calmness and the poise to, to slot past uh, the keeper there. So he's just got all the tools. He's got all the tricks, very composed. And um, it's really scary how good he might be in a few years. Yeah, sometimes what happens, I mean, he was 17 when he started at Stuttgart and sometimes it just takes a couple of years, even for a young player, you forget he's still 21. That's absolutely crazy to really put your head around. Um, is there any weaknesses in this side? I know sometimes goalkeepers not always been stable. Willie Orban's a solid defender, but they're struggling for a partner next to him. Is there worries there that Monaco maybe can uh, um, exploit in this one? Honestly, it's difficult to see any obvious weaknesses in this side. They're just so intelligent and, and, and they work so well together. Um, I'd have to say maybe the young French defender, Upa Meccano, but it's hard to really single him out in that first game at Schalke. You know, they, they looked ordinary as a team. And to be fair to him, he's had a really a couple of really good games since then. Just a beast in the air and, and really solid. But I just noticed in that first game at, at Schalke, his positioning was maybe a little bit suspect. Um, so that might be something Monaco can take advantage of, but it's really, you know, stretching it to say that he's an obvious weak link. But I just think with his age and his lack of experience, you know, coming up against Monaco and some of the, the guile they've got up front there with, with Falcao, um, you know, maybe, maybe he would be one that they would look to target, but they're really solid all over the park, as I've mentioned already, just so intelligent and, and, and work so well as a team. There's really nothing you could say that's just an obvious weakness. Rich, I'll bring you on on this because there's a, a player that we know very well, at least, that's joined Leipzig this summer, and that's a former Paris Saint-Germain man, John Kevin Augustin, who's obviously, it would be nice to see him play again. He's had a decent start to the season. He scored a couple of goals. He had a bit of an issue with the under-21s where he, he was sent home as well with uh, arguing with Sylvain Ripoll as well, which is maybe not good for his future career. But he brings an extra dynamism to them, doesn't he? He's an interesting player saying that he was really a backup last season for Paris Saint-Germain. This is a chance for him to kickstart a career in a really well, more exciting young uh, team. Um, yeah, I mean... I can't say I'll, have, I'll know exactly how well he's he's, he's done in, in in Germany, but it was a move that I was very much for. Um, it was certainly a move that was, I think was long overdue. Um, I think a combination of club and the player, um, you know, perhaps you know, I know the, the, the club have, well, PSG tried, I think, to, to load him out a couple of times and he seemed quite unwilling um, by, by all reports. Um, you know, he was. He seemed, anyway, determined to to make a go of it at PSG, despite all the 
the obvious signs that they weren't really going to give him that opportunity. So, you know, we've seen what he can do in fits and starts at times with PSG, especially, um, you know, there's been a couple of pre-season tours where he's really shone. Um, and we've seen what he can do at, at youth level as well. You know, he was um, top scorer in that successful under uh, under 19s team uh, alongside Mbappe. Um, so, no, it was, it's, a, it's a really positive move. You know, he's gone to a young side who seem, you know, to be really going places. So, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping that it's it's the successful move that he really needs. Matt, I just want to get your quick thoughts on his start to the season as well, because obviously we, there's a French interest in Augustin and uh, Upamancano as well. Um, how has Augustin settled into this Leipzig side? Who, like you've mentioned, have got a number of array of attacking talent that he's maybe squeezing in front of, at least for the time being. Yeah, he's really battling with... Um... Uh, the Danish striker uh, Yusuf Poulsen to to play alongside Werner, but I thought um, I thought Augustin was sensational. Honestly, in his first home game against Freiburg, got a couple of assists. You know, really working well with Werner, and he and he hit the post early on in the on the weekend against Hamburg, and had a pretty solid game. But look, I think that if there's one thing that we've learned with with Leipzig is that you know they improve players rapidly. And 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 you know very very well. They're, they're no fools with Ralph Ragnick. They're calling the shots. Um, so it, it just wouldn't surprise me if if Augustin stays in the team here alongside Werner and Im, Im, improves no end. You know, once they work out where each other are going to be, um, you know, he'll be able to make the runs that opens up space for Werner and, and vice versa. Um, I'm not sure if he'll start this game against Monaco, but I think. You know, it's it's a it's a very good move for for Augustin to move to to Leipzig, as it is for so many other talented youngsters. Um, and I really only see him improving as the season goes on. Yeah, and he never really worked out at PSG, even though when he was given the chance ahead of Cavani, he didn't quite fit their work. But nice to see him doing better in Germany. Um, Rich, the thing I'm looking forward to, I, I know Matt's mentioned Kaita might it might be out, but it'd be great if he does start because. What a titanic midfield battle that will be between him and Fabinho. If it does happen, that'll be one to watch, certainly. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, you just have to hope that Fabinho can brush off a you know very ordinary performance from the weekend. Um, but certainly, that would be great to see. Uh, you know, I'm really hoping that Tedemans you know finally gets uh, you know a starting role. I think Moutinho has been fantastic, but maybe. Um, you know, Monaco, certainly I think in that Nice game, but maybe this season, you know, they're missing that 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 spark of, of creativity um, a, a bit more centrally maybe. You know, Bernardo Silva, although played wide right, often drifted inside. And, you know, Ronnie Lopez has been pretty good, uh, but he's certainly been nowhere near a, a Bernardo Silva replacement. I'm not saying Tielemans is either, but, um, you know, we, 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 we saw countless times last season just what he can do driving forward from midfield. So it would be great to see him and Fabinho together in, in that midfield battle against the likes of, of Keita. And it'll be, oh, that's what I'm really looking forward to. That's mouthwatering. It might seem strange to, people always say striker versus striker, but a, a midfield battle, battle of that Titanic uh, clash will be really great to see. Uh, very quickly, Matt, what would your prediction be in this one? Well, honestly, I didn't see the Monaco game, but I saw the highlights and, you know, the way they got picked off on the counter on those first two goals was was quite alarming because, you know, that that's one of Leipzig's pet plays. 
and and that last goal to to Ganago, I know the, the game was over, but still, um, you know, the ball over the top is it, just just mince meat for Timo Werner. You know, so the goals that I saw Monaco concede certainly worrying because you know they, they seem to be the goals that that uh, that Leipzig feed off. So, but still, it's very hard to to pick a, a winner in this game. Uh, Leipzig playing their first game ever in the Champions League. But one thing you need to remember about Leipzig is that they're just so full of confidence and, and so sure of themselves. You know, from the top down, they've come in under so much criticism since they were established a few years ago as a club. They cop it all over the place, everywhere they go in Germany, but they, they don't let it get to them. They don't seem to worry about what the other team does. They go in there and they play their own game. So, look, it's very hard to predict anything, but I think we'll see some goals. You know, I think both teams will come out and attack and uh, whatever happens, I'm sure we're in for a fantastic game one way or another. Yeah. Rich, very quickly, what, what do you think might be the outcome? Um, me, personally, I, I, I see a high-scoring draw here. Um, you know, I think this is obviously a new Monaco side. This is, a, you know, a new, a new frontier for, for Leipzig. So you know, I think you could be looking at something like a two-two, you know, two-all draw, maybe. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking, and I hope uh, Keita Balde gets a, a look in as well. That'd be my, nice and interesting to see him start his first game and be in a Champions League game. And I'm sure the uh, atmosphere in uh, Leipzig will be pretty terrific for their first Champions League game. Uh, thank you, Matt, for joining us uh, this evening. It's a pleasure having you on. Thanks very much. Enjoyed it. Enjoy the game. Yeah, and we will. And if you want to follow him on Twitter, it's at Noobs Corp. And he's always an excellent little read for Get German Football News as well. Um, let's move on now, Rich, to our final topic, and that's Paris Saint-Germain. And we've squished them at the bottom this, this week. We're usually <laughs> one of our first news stories, and especially with them continuing their 100% record with a 5-1 win in Mets. But it's not quite as simple as that, is it, Rich? Uh, it's not. No. Yet again, I and mean, we've seen it a couple of times this season, they were quite slow out of the blocks. Um, a, a, what should be for a striker of his calibre anyway, a very simple chance. Um, as he seemingly does now every game, there is a sitter that he misses. Um, made amends just after the half-hour mark. Uh, I think to everybody's surprise, Emmanuel Riviere then got on the score sheet. Um, and then, yeah, we then had that red card. Um, Asura Kasu sent off. And I'm very much in the camp of it's barely even a foul as far as I'm concerned, let alone a card of any colour. Um, I don't think it was particularly from behind. Um, it was It was very much, I think, from the side. He very obviously got the ball replays for me anyway seem to show that he never even actually got any of Mbappe certainly not to the extent that we saw um, you know the, the sort of roles that followed from Mbappe so it was a from my regard anyway it was a dreadful decision absolutely dreadful decision um, I think the sort of look of astonishment on Asu Kato as he just sort of very calmly I thought actually considering how bad the decision was walked off the pitch just showed that it was a bit of disbelief I think um, it was crazy, crazy decision, and of course, then it, it changed the entire game. Yeah, I hate saying things like this because it, you really shouldn't about referees, but it killed this game, didn't it? I mean, 
I was watching it and having my dinner at the same time, and I sort of give up after the red card came in. And as soon as the second goal went in, you knew exactly where this one was heading because Mets were competitive for a long time. They they held out relatively decently. They were maybe lucky on a couple of occasions that there was an early chance for Cavani, although he's offside, that the defence looked poor at times. In that moment, they maybe got a little bit lucky, but a goal, that really nice header from Riviere gave them a little bit of hope and a little bit of a chance and I still can't believe he's missed that chance in the second half. Well, that's the thing, is it? That, that's, that, that's, the, that's the other thing that compels it, really, for, as, a, as a dire night for Mets, is that had that gone in, had that gone in, had they got the, you know, the fair rub of the green in terms of the, the, the red card decision, who knows what could have happened in that game. You would still bet very, very strongly that PSG would have gone on and won, but certainly 5-1 is not a scoreline that reflected... Um, either PSG playing really well or Mets playing really badly. No, I think Rivier had to balance out the fact that he'd scored earlier with a with a shocking miss because not scoring for two years, it'd leave you a little bit rusty at least anyway. Uh, what? Let's be a little bit positive at least and let's talk about Mbappe's debut. Obviously, it's his first game for PSG. He did play wide right this time. Many had speculated that he was replacing Cavani before the game. Instead, they went for a 4-2-3-1 with Draxler in the middle and Neymar and Mbappe in the wide positions with Cavani as a central player. What did you think to the lone man's uh, first game for the Parisians? Um, all in all, I don't think you can particularly knock it. Um, although I'm, I, will, I will keep it positive, but I will just touch on the fact that those roles were completely needless. Um, with the Asuokato incident, but you know he got his goal. He looked lively. I think there were signs that he, you know, he's still got to. He's definitely got to find his feet um, in in the side. Um, there was definite glimpses that, you know, this is a very raw eighteen-year-old. There were there were times where he looked a little bit naive still. Um, you know, he's no longer, perhaps anyway, the, the the sort of big star of the team. He's now come in. And he's a big star in a team of huge stars. So I think there's there's definitely going to be some settling in. But, of course, that's to be expected. Um, but, you know, got his goal, took it very well. He looked lively. Still wanted to come out wide to the left. That That's going to have to be a problem I think that Emery needs to work out. You know, it's all well and good telling Mbappe that he's going to play on the right. But as we saw in the France game... He wants to move left. He really, really does. Um, so that, that's a problem for Emery to sort. Fortunately, I'm not paid to, to sort that kind of problem. Um, but all in all, it's it's a perfectly acceptable debut. But, um, you know, there, there'll be plenty more to see from him. Yeah, and my worry is slightly, as you've mentioned, him wanting to pull that left is... I thought Neymar was a little bit quieter in this one than we've seen in the last couple of games, at least. He didn't quite have the influence he'd had on the past. He had brief moments, and, and same with Mbappe. I mean, there was one moment where he pulls a cross out with the outside of his boot to Cavani, and it's an absolute stunner of a ball. And there's just little moments like that that remind you that this kid is 18 and something very, very special. But I do slightly worry that maybe both might overshadow each other at times this season, and that might be them finding their feet in this formation that maybe Cavani gets pushed out of maybe at the end of the season if he continues missing well, and Mbappe yeah. didn't he when, he when he joined said that he very much saw himself as as actually a more central player 
Mm. Um, so maybe, maybe that's the plan. Maybe it's just have a season of you're a PSG player, albeit on loan, um, with a view then that, yeah, perhaps next summer, you know, Cavani will be getting on. It'll have served his purpose at the club. Mbappe's our new centre-forward. It will be an interesting one. And it does give them options as well if, if Cavani needs a rest or or if anything like that comes up an injury, they can move Mbappe inside. They've, they've got options on the bench. But we'll, we'll chat about them moving now to in the Champions League at least. And that's they'll be heading to uh, Celtic Park to take on, obviously, Celtic on um, this midweek. Um, they've had a good start to the season. They, they had to come through to... Well, three Champions League qualifiers to get to this stage, Celtic, and they've won every single game in the SBL bar one so far. They're a really interesting side underneath um, underneath Brendan Rodgers with a, a couple of French stars, especially one in um, Moussa Dembele, who's attracted a number of interests as much as he did at, at Fulham as well. What what do you think the Scottish side might pose as a kind of threat to PSG in this one, or is it maybe one of those games where it might be a little bit of a walkover? Um, you know what? I don't think this is going to be a walkover. Um, you know, this is a this is a slightly new look PSG side. Um, it's their first steps back into European football after such a horrifying way of exiting the competition last season. There's going to be a little bit of trepidation. Um, it's not an easy place to go. It really isn't. Um, you know, Celtic as as a team perhaps may not represent as big a challenge on the European scene as, as they have done in, in previous years. But uh, we were talking about it actually just, just off air, we, Nathan? It's, it's that atmosphere, isn't it? That, you know, some of those PSG players are not going to have perhaps experienced that, certainly recently. Um, you know, it's not an, it's, it won't be an atmosphere that they will come across domestically. Um, so if you know if Celtic Celtic Park can be that intimidating atmosphere that everyone knows it can be, um, you know maybe that just knocks a little bit more confidence off a team that's perhaps not going in at one hundred percent. Bearing in mind what happened last time they were in Europe. No, and they don't play Bruno Mars in Glasgow at least, so that might they might have to get uh, used to fans singing for a change instead. But yeah, I I agree with you. It's it's never the easiest chance to go to to Celtic. They always put up a fight with that, those fans, and you have a feeling with that defence. I mean, if Ma- Emmanuel Rivier can score past them, surely Moussa Dembele has a chance. He's a fantastic forward. He's he's really going to go on and do something. He's definitely going to be playing Champions League football next season, whether Celtic are there or not. But he's a he's a terrific forward that a lot of teams are keeping their eye on. And with his pace in behind, expecting Thiago Silva to be back as well, even though Kimpembe and, and Marquinhos haven't had the best starts to the season either. They've both been a bit iffy, especially in that Mets game. They don't look the greatest at the back at left back. Yuri seems decent, but he's he's definitely more attacking orientated than uh, Kazawa, which seems strange to say because Kazawa is very attack orientated as well. But it's an interesting one, and and also taking into the fact that 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 PSG played a four two three one at the weekend. I probably guess they'll play a four three three in this one. A to be a little bit more safe, and B to bring Verratti back into things. But it's never, never. I'm sure Barcelona and clubs like that will tell you it's never, never easy at Glasgow. It might be a bit easier when they have to travel to Parc de Prince. It might be a bit of a higher occasion for them where they tend to struggle away from home in Europe. But 
it's a tough ask. It's always a tough ask. And, and good luck to them uh, come their game on Tuesday. Uh, let's move on to our legal and snapshots now. Uh, Rich, what do you have for this week? Um, for me, it's it's unexpectedly positive starts to the season. Um, I think both Khan and Angers, I mean, Angers especially, unbeaten so far, albeit only one win. Um, but, you know, impressive draw in. Impressive, impressive uh, performances in draws against the likes of Bordeaux, at the Velodrome, against this new-look Lille, most recently at the weekend away at Saint-Etienne, who obviously had such a, a great start to the season. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're still got that sort of fighting quality, perhaps a little bit too much of a fighting quality, as we saw with um, Crivelli's red card at the weekend, but they've still got that fighting mentality, gritty performances, um, but adding adding just that little bit more, uh, you know, it's 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 not exactly brilliantly attractive football, but they're just adding a little extra dimension to their game, um, which is meaning that you know they're still hard to break down, but they're now posing a little bit of threat, a little bit of a threat going forward. Um, so they've basically made a, a you know hugely impressive start to the season. Can't I mean they still may prove me wrong, but I've I've I have said that. I do think that they could be strong relegation candidates. And of course, it's only match day five that we've just had. So still a long way to go. But, you know, they bounced back from two losses in their opening two games. You know, a, a strong, a strong, strong three points at Lille. Um, and then beating two sides who, you know, I would have thought they'd be fighting it out come the end of the season and towards the foot of the table in Metz and Dijon. Um, you know, they've got the testing away at Nantes coming up. But I think there's two sides there who are performing beyond, I think, what was expected by many of them at the start of the season. Yeah, and especially at Con, having players like Santini and and, and uh, Ronnie Rodeland just give them a, a little bit of an extra edge compared to some of those other sides fighting relegation. I, I've got three little snapshots and um, one interesting one, one goalkeeper save because I, I love one of those and, and a nice little funny moment as well. Um, the first one is Remy Cabea. So it's in that Angers game as well. And, and it, it was great to see him in his debut for Saint-Étienne be a little bit more inventive than we've seen at, at Marseille. And we saw glimpses at Newcastle, but not much. But he, he was he looked like he might be slowly turning back into that Montpellier version of Cabea, who was terrific. And there was moments in this one where he just decided that he was going to do something. And it seems like it's such a long time since he's done that. And he was inventive. He scored a really nice, lovely goal. He had he had three players around him. He played a lovely one-two with Johnny that didn't quite come off, but he didn't stop. He carried on that run and got exactly into the right space to play a ball in, and a lovely little finish. And he had a couple of little moments in that game where you thought, yeah, he's he, he's got something between the bit of his teeth. It's, it's reinvigorated him a lot more than it seemed to with that move to, to Marseille. And, and hopefully that can be the start of something really great again for us French football fans. The other two are my classic goalkeeper save of the, of the week. Stefan Ruffier's save from Fulgini from point-blank range is an absolute wonderful save. It's one of the best reaction saves you'll see this season. He's right in front of him and he tips it onto the bar. It's an absolute stunning save. Um, credit to him, although 
he lets run that penalty underneath his body. So <laughs> Rufier doing classic Rufier being unbelievable and then slightly embarrassing in the same moment. And one final one, um, one well, famous French referee, Clément Turpin, had a little bit of a tussle in the game between Monaco and Nice where he was caught between two players and it, he received a nice little uh, knee to the head from Marl on the on-loan Barcelona defender. He shook it off relatively nicely, but I don't think I'd like to be needing the head by a big defender like that. But credit to the Frenchman for seeing the funny side of it. Um, time for some viewer questions just to finish off this week. And we've got a couple here. Let's start with uh, Thomas uh, or at WYS man. Um, Rich, can Mets realistically survive with the attacking power of Riviere and Rue? I mean, they showed glimpses maybe in this one, but it's a tough ask, isn't it? It's not a strike force that will be uh, making many league and defences quake, I don't think. Um, they're not going to, no, they, they won't survive on the sort of, I don't know, dozen of goal, dozen goals that those two will, will get between them, if I'm being optimistic. Um, they needed to recruit better in the transfer window. They needed creativity. They needed a better option up front um i mean they, they should have signed shake the abate there's there's no question about it they should have signed him um so no they're, they're not a they're not a strike force that would make me um doubt my opinion that they are big favorites for the drop no i, I think a dozen goals would be absolutely terrific i think they'd be doing moonsaults in mets if they had had those mark goals from those two I, yeah, I agree with you. It's it's nowhere near good enough. Their, their only hope now for me is, is 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 that January window that they used so wisely last season pays them dividends again because they need a goal scorer really that can get them those 10 goals, 12 goals that someone like Santini at Con will do to keep them up. Um, final question is from Connor, um, Connor Ketley. Um, who should Marseille have realistically bought in at centre-half instead of Abdenor? Um They played against him. On Sunday night, they they should have bought Yaris Nyanyol. Um, You know, if, if this if this philosophy of you know trying to get these these you know, young French players in, okay, I know Nyanyol's declared is that he'll be playing for for the Ivory Coast, but you know he would have fit that bill. He would have fit that bill perfectly. You know, he had a real standout season. He's only getting better. He will eventually. Um, I mean, chances are it's going to be the end of this season. We'll move on to a big, big club. Um, and as Mo said earlier in the show, probably Ren would have, you know, 15, 20 million, perhaps. Ren probably, probably would have sold him. Um, and, you know, Marseille, through all their troubles, still obviously carry such a big, um, you know, the amount of history they've got behind them and the name that they have and the support that they still have. They still carry a, such a strong, powerful presence that you know it's still hard. It's still going to be hard for young players to turn down a move to a club like Marseille. So that that yeah, in a nutshell, that's who they should have signed. Yeah, and we mentioned it a lot during the start of the season. Really, him and Issa Diop's the other name you'd throw in the hat is is the two that are glaring, especially in French football. Maybe Christophe Julien as well, you might add into the mix there. They're, they're three centre-backs that you can get that are all under the age of 25. All going to cost you maybe maximum €20 million. Euros. They were offers of Diop for about €16 million in the summer, and I think you probably could get Julien for 
15, maybe even less than that if you're lucky. You should have been looking at that. They both, they fit the profile of what supposedly Rudy Garcia wants of French players. They're young. They're good now. How good could they be in the future? You can make that happen if, if you do that. And if you reach Champions League football, then it's a great growth, great breeding ground for those kind of players to to really move on and move to the next level. But they've missed the boat, I think, on those two. I I, I don't think... if Nanyon probably will leave in the summer. I think he'll go somewhere bigger um, unless Marseille do make the Champions League. And the same with Diop. He might be looking at uh, Leipzig again or something like that. that They've probably missed the boat, unfortunately, Um, which is their own fault more than anyone else's. That's all that we have time for this week. My thanks to Rich, Mo, Matt and everyone listening at home. Uh, Join us for the preview show on Thursday and the main show will be back at the same time, same place next week. I'm Anto and goodbye.